This is LBC from Global, leading Britain's conversation. Mystery Hour with James O'Brien. Three minutes after 12 is the time you're listening to James O'Brien on LBC. We take now a brief divergence from the diet of politics and hard news to paddle about in the shallows a little. Your weekly opportunity to achieve the sort of satisfaction not ordinarily available anywhere else on your radio dial. You probably have a question buzzing away in the back of your brain to which you know there must be an answer but you haven't thus far been able to identify precisely what it is. I suppose you could have looked it up but where's the fun in that when you can have a little bit of human interaction instead? The true spirit of education. Uh, we celebrate knowledge. And to be pompous for a moment, what do you mean for a moment? It's a permanent state of affairs. To be even more pompous than usual for a moment, um, it does actually acknowledge a key social change mystery hour. I know you think it's just a bit of fun that we have every Thursday, but there's something quite profound at its roots. And that is the recognition that the very nature of knowledge is changing because of technology. I I don't think I get carried away by this, but I I know. We think back, you try and make it generational specific. Think back to when there seemed to be something a little bit rum about the idea of taking calculators into exams because we belong to a generation that thought you should have been able to do it all in your head. My kids find that ridiculous. Well, what's the point of having it? So now with an education system that is still in large part actually post post gove it's gone back to this ability to retain knowledge rather than to apply understanding um it, it, it it's not necessary in the age of the internet i was at the national portrait gallery yesterday and bemoaning once again the huge gaps in my knowledge when uh after after queen elizabeth the first died the the, the succession <laughs> There, when it goes a bit orange for a bit, and then you've got the glorious revolution that has nothing to do with Cromwell, and yada boom, yada bing, yada boom. I don't have it there. My mum, by contrast, could talk you through it, you know, right through with dates. So, because she was educated in a different way from me, where retention of dates and retention of battles, Culloden, Bosworth Field, whatever it might be, Turnham Green, all right, maybe not the last one, that's a bit of a niche interest. Old Prince Rupert didn't know what he was playing at. However, for my kids, I don't see the point in them memorising all this stuff. But I still fondly imagine that an ability to produce knowledge unprompted is rather beautiful, actually which is why we do Mystery Hour, because it gives you an opportunity to produce knowledge. Obviously, it has to be knowledge that is in place before the programme starts, which means the only real rule is that you're not allowed to look up any answers. And in order to attempt to police that rule, I will ask you what your qualifications are. But that doesn't mean you have to reveal that you you have a PhD in applied mathematics. You could have literally just watched Mythbusters on telly last night, or rather more embarrassingly, uh, you could simply have heard someone else answer the question on Mystery Hour before. And we managed between us to forget that the question had indeed been dealt with. I I, I have a mild rule about motoring. We try and keep our eye on repetition. I'm not as scorched earth as I used to be because I'm getting older. uh, And and I I begin to see the appeal of motoring issues in a way that perhaps as a younger man I couldn't. I I thought it was all about, oh, what does the wife drive? How did you get A4, A316, or did you come up the A4? But not necessarily. We've had a couple of questions flirting with motoring based issues in the past that have proved rather interesting so so there we go enough burble enough waffle oh three four five six oh six oh nine seven three is the number that you need it's seven minutes after 12 i'll keep a tally 
of questions. Um, and if you haven't listened to it before, I think you're in for a treat. I normally issue a guarantee at this point that you'll laugh out loud at least once before close of play today, and, I, and I'm happy to do so again. Jamie's in Colchester. Jamie, question or answer? Uh, question, please, James. Carry on. Um, it's a random driving to work thought that I had this morning. Yes. Um, how was money introduced into the world? Because at one point, people would have had no money, and money would have been subsequently invented and introduced into the world. How was it distributed and integrated into society? And was it integrated evenly? Did everyone get it? Hang on a minute. It's a phone-in show, not a flipping university seminar. Where was the first money? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. How, how was it? Was it distributed? Did everyone go right? Here's a hundred pounds each. And well, no, of course not. No, it would have been in know. one place. So previously, barter, right? You, you, I yeah. want a pint of milk, so I'll give you half a chicken. That kind of thing. And then, yeah. then, then as kind of token, promising to give you half a chicken. So we we won't be able to go into too much detail about the when the the the, the wherefores and the and the and the and the sort of what's Fair enough. But we will find we'll the first can. recorded incidence of what we today would recognise as a currency as money. Probably exactly. looking at the Sumerians or the Egyptians, I would say speculatively. But frankly, I could be talking complete horlicks. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Thank you. Fair enough. We'll see what we can get. We'll see Good. what we can get. Money. First, first money, 03456060973. Do you know, the whole of Mystery Hour, I think, and obviously we're going back a while now, but this whole idea was born of a morning where we, for reasons I can't quite remember, but we did an hour on the question of why gold is valuable. I mentioned this to you earlier in the week. I'd forgotten this. Why is gold valuable? And at first glance, your response is, duh. But at second glance, ooh, why is gold valuable? But we're not doing that today. Jim's in fleet. Jim, question or answer? Hi there. Um, I've got a question, James. Carry on, um, Jim. I, um, I, I said something to my wife. My wife said something the other day. And I said to her, oh, I don't. It's no skid off my nose. Oh, and yes. She said to me, where's that come from? My mum used to say that. Yes. And I said, I don't know. I'll have to ask James O'Brien. Well, he won't know either. But if Wayne no, in Basildon is listening, having inhaled the Brewer's Dictionary of Phrase and Fable a few years ago in a frankly des- oh. desperate attempt to feature more than the average on, on Mystery, then he'll provide us with an answer or somebody else will. We're only allowed one origin of phrases a week, just to be clear, but we've got a good right. one here. Where did the... Let's, it's no skin off my nose. Where would you get skin off your nose? In a factory? Operating a lathe of some sort? Industrial revolution? I don't know. I don't know. But it's a good question. Jim, I shall attempt to... I was about to say satisfy your wife, but that would have sounded all wrong. I shall attempt to get you the answer you seek, Jim. Wonderful. Thank you very much. <laughs> no, thank you very much. So how was money introduced? And what's the origin of the phrase, no skin off my nose? Tony's in Woodbridge. Tony, question or answer? It's a question. Carry on. Right, this question has been bugging me for a long time, and I reckon it's the best question you've ever had. Well, I, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say I doubt it, but I can't wait to hear it well, nonetheless. Right, the question is, moths, they always come out at night and fly to light bulbs, etc., etc. Correct. Why don't, they just, why don't they just get up in the morning and come out in the light and save all the hassle? Well, because they'd get eaten. By whom? By what? Birds. You, using Not eyes. necessarily. Well, yes, necessarily. Necessarily. Oh, so I would say there wouldn't ever be a moth anywhere if it was during the day. No, Tony. The reason why they've evolved to be nocturnal is because their predators are generally operating under the benefits of daylight. Hmm. Well, I don't think that's a very good answer, but... 
Well, you did Tom, begin by saying it was the best question ever. So to be well, fair, I think it's a good question. to be fair, your value judgments were pretty <laughs> much exploded before you even got to your question. Yeah, no, fair play. I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> that's but all right. I think, right. Good, I think it is a good question. It's, though, all, it's all right. Could, it's all right. But I mean, know, it can't be a good question if you don't like the answer, can it? It's, it's, it's chicken no. and egg. It's a brilliant answer if it's a brilliant question. Well, I'm pretty sure it's, it's, it's the other one. Why don't they come out in the day? Because they get eaten. There you go. Simples. Mm. Round of applause well, for me. put it up there and see if anybody argues that point. Then. No, no, I'm not going to do that. All right, then. I'm just going to take a round of applause. <laughs> thank you, Tony. <laughs> Genuinely, thank you. Rory's in Hitchin. Rory, question or answer? And that's, that's a steward's inquiry waiting to happen, that last one. But let's crack on. Rory, question or answer? Hi, James. Hello, um, mate. Why do, why do kettles go quiet before they boil? Now, that's a lovely question. That's a, for a number of reasons. No offence to old Tony. But that is something that everybody listening will immediately recognise as true. And then they'll go, oh, yeah, I've, not, I've often... I don't... Uh, yeah. I mean, it, I mean, the short answer is because it stops bubbling as it, as it approaches boiling point and then it bubbles again. Yeah. Oh, but there's, there, 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 there's a little window, isn't there, in between um, full, full boil... Yeah. And pre-boil, and it goes down. If it was a graph, it would there'd be a there'd be a trough, a ditch, a dip in the graph of of noise or bubbling, and we want well, to know it. why that is. What, why does yeah? It's, it's, it's the click, you know, the, the little button you press push down. Why does that click up after the noises? Uh, quieting, which is you know presumably when it's noisy. It's, it's almost it's, it's, it's almost so like it's almost like it breathes in. It's almost like it reaches yeah. about ninety-seven degrees, and then it, it breathes in. Everything goes quiet, and then it breathes. Out. Toil and trouble, and, and the kettle turns itself off. I like that question. I shall endeavour to get you an answer. We should be able to get a good answer for that one. That's a great question. Thank you, Rory. Mike's in Marlow. Mike, question or answer? It's a question, James. Yeah, um, the speaker, yes. in light of the fact that he's just disappeared, but seeing lots of him, when they approach the bench with a decision from the House, yes. He the, then the chap takes it round and he gives it to the speaker and the speaker reads it out and then he bellows unlock. Yes. What a strange thing because he didn't say lock. Well, are you sure? No. What? Yes, what? I'm sure. But Why he does go no, several say, So he doesn't lock them on and then ask them to unlock. No, but they, this is after. When uh, when when they presented him with an answer, you know, for, with a vote, let's say. So they go forward and... Yeah, no, no, the, it's you, know, you get the eyes and the nose. And no nose and yeah, and he says, stuff. I think the eyes have it, or I think the nose have yeah, it. absolutely, yeah. But then, right at the end of that, to dismiss those four that come to the front, he says, unlock. Yeah, but you've missed the bit of the division lobby. Clear the lobby. What? Clear the... After that, I mean, the... The, 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 you clear the... Because <laughs> they shout I or no, and then they think, yeah. well, yeah, it's not. we haven't got a clear case, result. Oh, yeah. So yeah. I, 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 know, I genuinely think they lock the exit doors from the lobby. But is he telling them to unlock or unlocking the doors? He's telling, the, he's telling, the, he's telling the, the, whatever they're called, the doorkeepers, I'm going to call them, Mike, for the benefit of, the, of, 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 of clarity. <laughs> the man with the keys, He yeah. tells the, the key keepers, <laughs> if you prefer. <laughs> <laughs> they lock the exits from the lobbies. And then, and then when they're... No, seriously. I and, think you're clutching it. 
<laughs> well, I tell you what, if I'm right, what's what forfeit are you going to pay? Oh, yeah, I'll give you the money myself. <laughs> you, <laughs> you can't nick my catchphrases, you cheeky <laughs> bow. I mean, nicking Les You've Dennis's. Had a few of mine over the years, I tell you. <laughs> I, I, I think it is that simple, but you're right. I mean, we, we, we need someone to go definitive. So, why does yeah. the speaker shout unlock yeah. before revealing the result of, of, of the vote? Yes, thank you. Well, thank you. 0345 606973 is the number that you need. Um, it's quarter past 12. LBC Mystery Hour on LBC with James O'Brien. Call 0345 6060973. 18 minutes after 12. Uh, possibly a clarification to that story about the NHS and the fact that the latest waiting lists for routine surgery, um, uh, the, the, the highest since records began. I just thought you might be interested to know that modern data records, as far as I can tell, began in, in 2004. So, um, yeah, you know, it's a slightly different story from if they'd begun in 1902, isn't it? But it's mystery hour, so we won't concern ourselves unduly with that. Question's currently in need of answers. The kettle one's gone down an absolute storm, I have to tell you. It's just one of those things. We may have done it before, but we've all forgotten the answer. Uh, where does money come from? Where was money first introduced? Uh, what's the origin of the phrase, it's no skin off my nose? Why does a kettle go quiet just before it boils off? as it were, and uh, why does the speaker shout, unlock? Not that the next speaker will necessarily be doing it in quite such a, shall we say, thespian fashion, as, as John Burko chose to employ. 12.19 is the time. Professor Hall is here. Professor Hall is in Brighton, although presumably it's the kettle question. It's actually not. Oh. And, um, I've actually. You remember you up... came in a bit early, like, pre- premature intervention last week, Hal. I don't know that you have learned your lesson from, from that. Just think about what you just said. I did. Very anyway, carefully. Carry on. I, okay. Um, no, I'm, I'm coming out of type because, um, as, as you might know, I'm lucky enough to teach economics in our, to our fourth years. And I, I was teaching this very thing last week oh. about money. And so historically there's been money around for ages, but I can tell you about the advent of modern money, in particular pounds. Because if you read... Um, well, no, I, I, I don't want to sound ungrateful, but the questioner was pretty clearly asking about the first recorded instance of what we would recognise as money today. OK, well, um, let's, let's try it and see, and then you can interrupt me and boot me off um, right. as you see fit. Thank you. Um, the fact of the matter is, if we get to a point where we accept that gold has value, and we, that's a different story, but yes. it was, um, there's, there's, a, there's not enough of it to go around, but if you want some, you can really get some. So yes. if you had a pound of gold, you need to put it somewhere safe, and the place to put it was the goldsmith. Um, you'd take it to the goldsmith say, can you look after my gold um, in return for a small consideration? And they would, of course, give you a receipt, which would say, I promised to pay Professor Howell one pound of gold. Yes. And if I needed to buy something, I'd have to go back and... Oh, no, OK. I'm not going to interrupt you. This is good. No, I'm sorry for no, questioning your quality. Uh, cruci- crucially, um, I didn't necessarily have to get my pound of gold back, just a pound if they were standardised. And so I'd give him the receipt, yeah. take the pound of gold. And um, let's say for the sake of argument, I went to buy a horse and... I'd say, I'll have that horse for a pound of gold. I'll have to go back and get my pound of gold, wait there, and I'd, I'd do that. And at some point, if the receipts that were given were seen to be um, standardised, yeah. um, there was potential for them to be exchanged. But the fact was, it said, I promised to pay Professor Hal. So yes. James O'Brien couldn't get my pound of gold until the goldsmith got tired of writing out new receipts. And they said, look, I'm going to put, I promise to pay the bearer. Yes. And suddenly that was a game changer. Because if someone trusted me, they could say, I could say to them, instead of running back to the goldsmith to get my pound of gold, yes. take this receipt and you can go and get it. And then 
Also, crucially, they often wouldn't. They'd hang on to it because they knew they could get the gold. They actually didn't. And suddenly receipts became as good as gold, which is where the expression comes from. And at that point, the goldsmiths realized that no one was coming back to get their book gold, and they started lending gold bars out. And that's the basis of our current banking system, the fractional reserve banking system, which is no longer backed by gold because Gordon Brown sold it all. Because he hadn't done my module. <laughs> and if he had, he would realise you sell when it's high, Gordon, not when it's low. So uh, it's a receipt, which is no, a promise that's no longer kept. You, you can't buy it. Can we put a date on it? Have we got any notion of dates? I don't um, know why I'm I've going, got the Medici's banging around in the back of my brain on this one, but that's well, probably a bit late in the game. It is probably late in the game. I was going to sort of 9th century, 10th century okay. when people realised that gold. Was, so it was, was linked it, to gold then? It was that, that, I mean, that original question that in many ways the, 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 the founding father of this entire radio programme is the question of why is gold valuable? Yes, and no, literally pound notes as they were, but let's say five pound notes as they are, were receipts for gold that you can never go and reclaim. But They're No, hang on notes. a minute, hang on a minute. Mm-hmm. What about coins with Roman emperors on them? Hey? All right. No, I said that. There's, there's been you... coins like denarius. But the, the paper money and the coins money are two different things. Paper money is called fiat money. Uh, it's money yeah. that has no intangible value. Got you. Whereas you know, a coin would actually be worth what it was worth as the metal involved, which is why clipping was such a big thing in the Middle yeah. Ages. And that's why we have milling on coins. Historically, they put little lines on the edge of coins. So, so that if it was made of it. a precious metal, you couldn't just shave yeah. a little bit off, melt it down and yeah. make some nice earrings, perhaps. That's called commodity money, which is the opposite of fiat money. And that's like things like beaver pelts in the wild west and um pr- uh, in prison cigarettes and a phone cards yeah I, I mean i'm going to give you a round of applause and i thank you for your fascinating interlude but in terms of what the original question was where, where was the first recorded use of money it would probably be the point at which someone turned precious metal into a into a into a disc with a number on it wouldn't it yeah, Roman denarii, for example. Yeah, I, but I bet with bet the what the Egyptians? The Egyptians must have had something. Oh, it's been around for thousands. But, so um, we probably don't know. I concur wholeheartedly. That, but, um, but we've enjoyed your explanation enormously. Qualifications? You've already told us, but you know these are the rules. Um, I'm very fortunate to be Professor of Public Understanding of Science at the University of Brighton, and I also get to teach some economics and accountancy from time to time. Oh, can't say fairer than that, can you? Round of applause for Professor Howe. I wonder if he's had more than me over the years. It's highly unlikely, but not impossible. 12.24 is the time. Rosh is in Trafalgar Square, no less. Rosh, question or answer? Uh, question, please, James. Carry on, mate. Um, I was in a butcher's the other day, oh, yeah. and I, um, I noticed, uh, and I've noticed this before, but I was too scared to ask for fear of looking a bit dim. Don't worry. But the, uh, so, 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 yeah, I know. Some <laughs> of the butchers in there were wearing sort of blue aprons, with sort of stripy aprons. Yeah. And some of the butchers were wearing white aprons, and I thought... Why is that? And I've noticed that in other butchers. I also know that in Germany as well. I don't know if it's a, a worldwide or a European thing. And I thought, why? Is there some sort of ranking system in a butcher's? Or why, why, is it, why do some of them wear stripy aprons and one of them, uh, some of them wear just sort of plain aprons? I like that question. I mean, the, 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 I, mean the, I think if there is an answer to it, as opposed to just you know, chance and coincidence, you've probably second-guessed it. I can't see what else it would be except some denotion of... Um, denoting of, of qualifications or denoting of status. But, yeah, I mean, now you come... Maybe front of shop and back of shop or something like that? I don't know. Yeah, and it, it seems to be a, not a... Maybe not a universal, I'm over Yeah, but certainly it, international. But it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, there, is there some fancy reason? That's, that's, that's really well, weird. let's find out for you. Why, why, do, why, why do butchers' aprons have these distinctions? Some, some are stripes and some are not in the same shop. That's, that's the point. 
0345 Ben's in Woking. Ben, question or answer? It's an answer, James. Carry on, Ben. It's to the Parliament unlock question. Unlock! You were about 90% of the way there. You yes. said that they locked the exit doors. They oh. locked the entrance doors. Oh, so MPs have got 10 or I think it's 12 minutes to vote. They have to get from wherever they are. Uh, bells ring all around the palace. Right, they man. ring in lots of pubs and bars and stuff nearby to Westminster as well. And they've got 12 minutes to get into the lobby of their choice. Um, at the end of those 12 minutes, to make sure only people that have got there in time can vote, Yes, uh, they lock the doors. Uh, and the speaker does shout, uh, lock the doors. Now, normally, when you watch on BBC Parliament or the TV or whatever, that's during the muted bit. So you may not hear what the speaker is uh, actually saying, okay. which is why your questioner may not have heard them say lock the doors before. Uh, and then at the end of the, uh, the 12 minutes, the doors are locked. Everyone gets through. They get counted by the tellers on their way out. And uh, then they count up all the votes um, uh, for the next 5, 10, 15 minutes. Yeah. And then they come forward, the votes are announced, and the speaker says that they can unlock the doors again. So it's an entry door and an exit door? Yeah, so you go in through <laughs> one end. So if you're going to vote yes, I think you go in through the main door on the right-hand yes. side. Uh, and if you're going to vote no, I think it's the near the speaker's chair on the left-hand side. So you're going in opposite directions. Uh, and they, do, they, ju- they genuinely lock you in. So the premise of Mike's question was a little flawed, although the answer has been very, very interesting. What are your qualifications? I worked in Parliament for four or five years. Did you? I did. I was a researcher and a speechwriter for oh. an MP. Well, that's all right then. Round of applause for Ben. Thanks very much. Yeah, no, obeying Ofcom regulation rules as well, though, both of us, by me resisting the urge to ask you to put a little bit more flesh on the bones of your of your job description. 12.27 is the time. Sally is in Farnborough. Sally, question or answer? It's a question, please, James. Carry on. I have a 10-year-old son who would like to know the answer to this question. When you breathe out uh, through your mouth, yes. you can get warm air, but when you blow out, you get cold air. Yeah, sort, sort of. Oh, I know this. It's, this might be one of the questions that we've answered most often, but that's just a test. Oh, really? No, but that's not a criticism. That's a testament to how interesting it is. It's to do with wind chill factor. <laughs> no, it is, because it, it's, it's how it... Why are you laughing? No, because, I don't know, I just think wind chill factor is when it's really blowing a gale. I oh, I may think have got the wrong get... phrase then, but it's 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 about the speed with which the air is hitting your skin. And the skin, the heat of the skin is being transferred. I'm not going to get there, Sally. I'll get. I'll wait. Okay. For, I'll wait for someone clever. Thank you. What's the, what's the ten-year-old called? Sam. Well, well, tell Sam that I'm sorry for trying to answer this question myself. Okay. But, but on the I'll plus side, there's a moral there for him. You see, <laughs> mansplaining. There always is. Yes, there's always a moral. Thank you. So we'll find out why. Why? Oh, I can't even phrase the question properly. Why? Why? When? If you blow air out of your mouth onto your skin, it feels cold. If you breathe it out. Oh, it feels warm. 03456060973 is the number that you need. So we've got that, which is the, the, the chill wind, or um, we've got the butcher's aprons, done the unlock, the kettle, that we've done the moths, the skin on your nose, and how was money introduced? A special mention for, for a tweet, which I presume is intended for comic value rather than actually being true. But the, the fellow who tweeted to say, oh, that's a brilliant question about the kettle, James. I just had a look into the spout of my kettle in order to try and work out the answer, and it's burnt all the skin off my nose. Holly Harris is here with the headlines. Backing you. Mystery Hour on LBC with James O'Brien. Call 0345 6060973. It's 12.34. You're listening to James O'Brien on LBC, where Mystery Hour continues. Um, What's the origin of the phrase, no skin off my nose? 
Why does the kettle go quiet just before um, it, it reaches, you know, boiling point? Why do butchers wear different styles of aprons in the same shop? Do they denote anything regarding status or hierarchy? And the, 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 the old chestnut about it's colder when you blow out than it is when you just breathe out normally onto skin. And I know the skin is the crucial element of this, or I think it is from, from memory. But any, and I've got wind chill in my mind, but Sally, who asked the question on behalf of her 10 year old son, Sam, started sniggering when I said wind chill. So I, I, I won't repeat that. I think it's just not great. Stephanie's in Derby. Stephanie, what would you like to say? Um, Sorry, I forgot where I was there. Keith spoke in my ear and put me right off proceedings. I couldn't even work. <laughs> Do you know what it sounded like in my ear? I was in visiting our so I'm trying to trying to work out what's going on, and I, I just came to you with the wrong invitation. This is mystery hour, so I'll try again. Are you ready, Stephanie? I'm ready. Right. <laughs> Stephanie's in Derby. Stephanie, question or answer? Question, please. Carry on, Stephanie. Thank you. Um, so I have a fourteen-week-old uh, daughter, oh. and when she yawns, it makes me yawn. But yes. when I yawn, it doesn't make her yawn. So, at what age do you start catching yawns? Oh, I like that. I, I, it'll be something to do with communicate when you start when you first appreciate danger. Someone told me the reason you yawn contagiously is because it means you're safe. So I can see over your shoulder, so there's no baddies running towards us, and you can see over my shoulder. If there were any baddies running towards us, you wouldn't yawn. So I yawn by a sort of because it gets a lot of oxygen into your. Anyway, you don't care about all of that. You want to know at what age do yawns become contagious? Please. That's a lovely question, actually. I shall find out for you. I mean, you could just wait. Yeah, I'll just hang out and just see how long it takes. Exactly. Her. You could just set your daughter up, maybe, you know, get some sort of webcam involved for when you're asleep, and then, oh, no, because that wouldn't matter because it wouldn't be anyone else there. So you could just keep yawning at your daughter. <laughs> but then you wouldn't know, then you wouldn't have a test in place because you wouldn't know whether that was a random yawn. If you did it too much, it could just be a random yawn that she would have done anyway, or is it a yawn that was inspired by your original yawn? So you'd have to have quite a sparing approach to yawning. So it's a lot easier just to ask someone else. Yes, please. <laughs> You're on. Thank you very much, Stephanie. Dave um, describes himself as being from the Isle and Royal Manor of Portland, which is rather splendid. And he says, I've got a question. I know what you're thinking. You never take questions from texts, James. But I'll take this one from Dave. He says, does James consider himself a journalist, a presenter or a philosopher? Well, I'll answer that, Dave. I think first and foremost, I consider myself a friend, followed by an entertainer. And last of all, I think a confidant. But thank you for asking. 12.37 is the time. Dustin is in Croydon. Dustin, question or answer? It's a question, James. Carry on. Um, I don't know if I want it now because uh, the young man who answered the phone laughed at my question. Did he? Um, okay. That's a good <laughs> sign. That's quite a good sign. He wouldn't have put you through yeah, if he didn't like it. Let's see. No um, pressure's well, on now. Well, it's something I was told down the pub. I think it was down the pub already. I don't know. Go on. But it is... Brazil was named after the nut. And I just want to know if it's true. As opposed to the nut being named after the country. Exactly. I mean, my instincts are all screaming country first, nut second, mate. Mm-hmm. But you're, you're yeah. of the view that it might be nut first. I don't know. Ergo country. All right. I might, I mean... I, I mean, the colour orange was named after the orange, so... It was, it was, it was. I mean, what was the nut called before it was called the Brazil nut? Who knows? Quite partial to a Brazil nut, actually. It's, a, it's mm-hmm. one of those Christmassy things, isn't it, that you find yourself wondering why you don't eat them the rest of the year round. But all right, you're on. Is, is Brazil named after the nut, or is the nut named after the country? 
That's a lovely question. I can see why Aaron perhaps had a little chuckle. Uh, 12.38 is the time. Come on, sort Dustin out with the answer that he craves. Andy is in Bulgaria. Andy, question or answer? It's answer. Carry on, Andy. It's the skin off the nose. Originally, it was a medieval judicial punishment where the nose was taken off to um, adulterers. What, the whole nose? So, therefore, yeah, the whole nose. Good grief. Are you sure? Yes, I'm absolutely positive. So, ma- ma- male uh, or female, if you were caught in, doing it... originated a, yeah. in um, Egypt. Well, I never. You got your nose chopped off if you were caught playing away. Yes. Carry on. Uh, the idea behind it was to actually make the uh, the adulterer um, too ugly to have another affair. Yes, I can see how that might have worked. Do you know, oddly, I mentioned clipping coins earlier to Professor Howe when we were discussing the origins of currency. Do you know what the punishment was for clipping coins in medieval times? I do not. Having your ears chopped off. That seems a little extreme. Well, I mean, you just <laughs> chopped off someone's nose for getting their... for having a, for, you know... Personally, I did not. But, no, no, um, not you personally. No, but apparently, it was um, it, it was uh, introduced as a medieval punishment for uh, mainly female adulterers. Yeah, well, it would be, wouldn't it? That, that, that would make sense. I, I, yeah, qualifications. Um, I used to work in an industry where psychological warfare was part of the job. So you studied, you, you looked into these. No, that doesn't really answer. We my had question. a couple. Of, we had a couple of lessons on uh, medieval torture. Did you really? Techniques. Yes. Good grief. So you were a primary school uh, teacher then? <laughs> no, I've never been a brainwasher and never wanted to be one. You worked in sort of security? I or... worked in close protection. There you go, close protection. Oh, blimey. Well, I mean, I wasn't expecting... What are you doing in Bulgaria? I know you weren't expecting to provide your autobiography. He's when escaping you ran... Brexit. Oh, don't go there. Round of applause. Give him two, actually. <laughs> 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 Thank you, Andy. Great work. Well, there you go. It's true, that, about the years. Seriously, it's in um, SJ Paris's book that I read that lately. If you like C.J. Samson, which I recommended to you a few years ago, there's sort of detective novels set in... Tudor England, then S.J. Paris's um, similar, similarly set novels, with also with a with a with a thriller element, are, are up there. They're right up there, worthy of comparison. So if you um, like me, uh, wait with bated breath for your favourite authors to republish a new Lee Child out at the moment, for example. Then um, the question of not having to wait if you haven't read the S.J. Paris is is well, you'll be grateful. Daniel's in Gravesend. Daniel, question or answer? Uh, question, please, James. Carry on. Um, I would like to know what officially makes a castle a castle and not just a big building or house. Soldiers, probably. Um, I mean, I'm not going to take that as an answer, happened? but having a, ga- yeah. <laughs> having a garrison yeah. of some sort inside. I mean, the, the schoolboy answer would be crenellation, wouldn't it? You know, like the, like the bits on the top of the towers that look like... Teeth yeah, I didn't one. know if it meant that it would have to have had a moat and some turrets to officially be a castle. I don't think so. I think it was probably... Yeah, I think it was almost... I, I would imagine it's almost linked to military capabilities rather than architectural design, but I don't know. It might not be. It's a lovely question, that. What, what well, make, At what point does a building become a castle? Indeed. Yeah, all right, you're on. I like that. <laughs> no, good work. Thank you, mate. I, it's one of those questions where I thought if I burbled on for long enough, I might be able to work out what the answer was. I think we all know that's never going to happen. Matthew is in Lancaster. Matthew, question or answer? Answer, James. Carry on. Um, it's about the butcher's aprons. Yes. Um, and I think it's one of those cases where it seems like it's a, 
can make sense, but actually they don't mean anything. Just <clears throat> random, uh, whichever apron some people like, stripey ones, some people don't, whatever, whatever came out of the laundry first. Exactly. Well, I used to be a butcher's boy, so when I was like 14 or something, I had oh, the yeah. old bike and take all the deliveries and stuff. Uh, often butchers wear white, so you can see the stains. Yes. And so you know you've got a clean butcher. Blue in catering normally is there because you don't often get blue food. So I'm not suggesting an apron gets cut up, but blue normally, like normally like blue gloves or whatever, it means that if it ends up in the food, you can see it. Are you sure? Because, I mean, butcher's <clears throat> boy, that's just a sort of Saturday job for a couple of years when you were doing your O-levels, isn't it? Well, it is, but now now I own a fish and chip shop, so I've got the catering trade magazines. Where oh, you buy fair the enough. Oh, from, you see. All right, yeah, no, fair enough. So there's no, there's and no. It never says anywhere if you if you're a master butcher, you need a stripy one. If you're just a normal butcher or an apprentice butcher, then you you wear a plain one or, or et cetera, et cetera. Exactly. It's normally you run out some run out of some aprons, and you just need to buy some more. So it's probably you buy aprons from one. Supplier and then oh, go and buy bo- No offence, mate. Supply. I mean, you're going to get a round of applause and everything, but what a boring <laughs> answer. Uh, well, it's a bit, but it's, I think it's, one of those, it's interesting because it should be something more interesting. Shouldn't it? It's just not. <laughs> it's just not. Um, what's your chippy called? It's called Black's Finest Fish and Chips in Lancaster. Oh, I'm a fit, do you, I don't, How old are you? Do you mind me asking? Uh, about to be 38. 38. Can you put it away like you used to? Can you? Put, put, well, fish put fish and chips and chip. away because no, I mean I've, I've discovered in the, like, I don't eat fish and chips anywhere nearly as often as I used to or would like to. But I have found on my last three or four visits that my eyes are bigger than my stomach. Whereas previously, fish and chips would have been filed under never going to leave a crumb on the plate or on the paper. <laughs> I just not. But but I think you're younger than me, so you probably. But also, you probably don't eat that much of it, do you? I tend to. Well, I tend to eat when I've overcooked stuff. You know, rather than yeah. putting it in the bin. As, at the end a, of as in, you've got too much it. left. Not that you cooked it for too long. No, exactly. Um, yeah, but the, the interesting thing with the industry, though, is that we're really conscious now of portion control. So yes, actually I've noticed. find a lot of fish and chip shops doing lighter bites because somewhere like McDonald's will always have the same weight yes. no matter what. But in the fish and chip shop industry, you don't. So you get someone who's willing to spend, they want a large chips and they want a large chips to feed a family yes. of four or they yes. want a large chips for themselves. So That's two different that largest, discrepancy, isn't it? Yeah. No, I'm with you. How long have you been doing it? Uh, six years. Is the business all right? Yeah, it's going great. We won a national award in January. So, um, Which one? The big one? We didn't win Chip of the Year, but we were there. In, there's different... It's kind of like the Oscars. No, I know. Uh, the, the, the one up the road from me in, um, in Hagley won it a couple of years running a while ago. And, and the, the lady who's in charge of the Fish and Chips Awards got in touch. And, and I mean, it sounds like I'm making this up, but I love Fish and Chips. And I, I, I'm, also, <laughs> I'm also a student of it. I, I, I could name, and I don't think you are one of these, but I, could, I used to be able to name chippies roughly that still use dripping instead of oil. And do you prefer dripping over it? Uh, well, uh, I thought I did, but it's a different proposition entirely. At first taste, you think, oh, this is a bit special. But actually, if you were going to have it every Friday, like we did as kids, mm. I, I, I don't know that I would actually prefer dripping. Yeah, and it's more of a regional thing, which is quite interesting as well. So up in Lancashire, it's, yes. it's always predominantly been vegetable oil. Yes. You cross over to Yorkshire. Then you get some and dripping. dripping. That's yeah. right, yeah. Well, that's where, I, I mean, my parents are both from Yorkshire, so dripping had a kind of mythical status when we were eating fish and chips in the Midlands. Keith just said time in my ear, but he doesn't understand fish and chips. It's not <laughs> like a normal... It's not like a normal caller. This is special. <laughs> get yourself to Black's if you're in Lancaster. Get yourself to Black's quality fish and chips. Do you do anything a bit oh, out of the ordinary? Man. Anything a bit out of the ordinary on the menu? 
Um, no, not particularly. Good. We, we, Correct we, we, answer. Too. Correct answer, because <laughs> you don't mess with perfection. It would be like painting exactly. something like a moustache on the Mona Lisa. All these battered <laughs> monstrosities. Right, round of applause for Matthew. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. 12.47. Oh, I'm hungry now. It's 12.47. Mystery Hour on LBC with James O'Brien. It's 12.50. Crikey. Um, questions still need answers. And uh, we'll maybe room for a couple more questions. We shall see. But I would like to know, first instance of, of money in its conventional sense, Professor Howell provided us with a fascinating answer to arguably a question that hadn't been asked, but it was fascinating nonetheless. Done the origin of the phrase, no skin off my nose. There might be room for embellishment there, but it, it seemed fairly comprehensive. No challenges to my brilliant answer to the moths question. Why do kettles go quiet just before... Um, full boil is, is is achieved the butcher's aprons we've done um why is it colder when you blow through a pursed mouth onto your onto the back of your hand than it is when you breathe out with an open mouth with a with a with a more open mouth uh, at what point does yawning become contagious and i kid you not what came first the brazil nut or the country and then we'd also like to know what at what point does a building become a castle? We better crack on. At what point does a building become a castle? Charles is in Glasgow. Charles, question or answer? Uh, it's an answer. Carry on. Uh, it's for the, the kettle one. Uh, what it is is when you first fill the kettle, the water is filled with oxygen. Mm. Now, as the kettle starts heating up, the oxygen starts to boil off, and this is what makes the noise. Now, if you let the kettle get completely cold and boil it again, it's even quieter. It makes no noise at all, at all when it boils. Oh, but that does do, that doesn't explain why it goes it goes up again just before it turns the kettle off. Do you see? Because most of the oxygen is burned off. Yes, but then why does it come back with a vengeance briefly before it turns the switch off? I have no idea we're there. Because oh. what happens is if uh, like if someone's got asthma and they, they lean, lean over a sink and turn the cold tap off, they get the oxygen coming out of the cold water. Good, I didn't know that. Well, I, I mean, I'm going to well, give the you... Reason a... I know, the reason I know that one, sir, is because I'm asthmatic. And okay. when I ran out of the inhaler, I turned on the cold tap and you can actually feel the, the oxygen coming out as it hits the sink. Well, I, I take your word for it, but I, I wouldn't want to give it out as medical advice or anything like that. No, no, I wouldn't say <laughs> med medical advice. <laughs> no, if I hear you, but, but I, I mean, you haven't answered the question that we asked, but I don't mind because it's an enjoyable answer. And that oh, point, okay, sir. Because because the the clincher was, you know, when when the kettle's boiling, Charles, just before yeah. it boils yeah. up and it's all bubbly and noisy, and then it goes quiet for a mm -hmm. few seconds, and then it comes back bubbly and noisy and 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 flicks off the switch. So I don't know, well, it's the quiet bit that we were trying to get to the bottom of. Uh, it's the quiet bit, yeah, you know. But as I say, um, I've found uh, when I've, I've tried it out to. Uh, it uh, burns off the oxygen. Yeah, no, I, 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 I mean that'll be part of the answer. So you can have half a round of half a round of applause for Charles. Thank you. Glenn's in Basildon. Glenn, question or answer? Uh, I've got an answer for you, mate. Let's go. Uh, castles. What makes a castle? Well, what makes a castle a castle? What basically? makes a castle a castle? Uh, basically, it's actually a luxurious living residence. Yes. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a home that belongs to a nobleman that is fortified for military purposes because obviously we're dealing in a very sort of violent time now, the period. So once it's and fortified, it's a castle, effectively. Pretty. Basically, yeah. I mean, the difference in a castle and a fort is a fort will belong to somebody, but the people living there might not actually own it. Right. Whereas the castle belongs to the gentleman or his family that are living there. And it, like you say, if you ever go, if you ever see a proper castle and it's fully reconstructed, not like what we got now, sure. where all the masonry's fallen down and everything. Mm, mm. But you look them on the inside; they used to plaster all the walls and paint scenes all over it. They're actually really bright and beautiful buildings. Of course they are. 
What do you think is the yeah. best preserved castle in the country? I've I've got a contender, uh, but I'd love to know what yours is. The, the one the, the the one I see, I think one I've seen myself was probably Dover. Actually, that was uh, and that's huge as well, and it's still in really good condition. But down the road from me in Essex, you've got Castle Headingham, yes. which is uh, it's still in pretty good nick. Although, although it was gutted in the Second World War, because they stored me, uh, ordnance there and oh, it got okay. blown up. But um, no, I mean that's that's uh, again the keep is actually in very good condition. Again, that's that's a central point. The well, they're quite. Sp- but, I mean, that's quite a small castle. I was going to go for Warwick. Heading, yeah. I was going to go oh, for no, Warwick. I, I've not I've not been to Warwick. Oh man, you've got, got to go to Warwick. It's a fantastic yeah. castle. It's yeah, got. It's got. Yeah, I might do one day, mate, when I get a chance. Do it. Make a weekend of it. Get yourself to Stratford-upon-Avon as well for a bit yeah. of a butcher's around there. It's a beautiful, it's a lovely castle. And I, I don't know if you've got kids, but it's got a lot of that pageantry and malarkey going on as well. Round of applause for Glenn. <laughs> I didn't ask what his qualifications were because he was so obviously right and we're short of time. Michael, well, blimey, Michael is in the lower Amazon basin in Brazil. Hello, Michael. Question or answer? How are you doing? I've got an answer for you. Go on. About uh, Brazil, why the country is named Brazil. Yes. It's got nothing to do with a Brazil nut. It's actually from a tree that the Portuguese found in Brazil, which was called Pau Brazil, and that used to give them red dye. Well, I never. So the country was named after this specific tree. But was the nut named after the country? Afterwards, because they only had the nut over here, they decided to call it Brazil nut. So the nut was named because the, I mean, I, the question oddly wasn't why is Brazil called Brazil? It was why is a Brazil nut called a Brazil nut? What came first, the, the country or the nut? Well, the country came first. Qualifications? I actually work with forestry, and I've lived in Brazil 27 years, and I do, a, well, as I said, I work with forestry. No, that'll do. So you're in Brazil working in forestry? Correct. Well, I'm going to give you one of these. I'm Ray Liotta, and you're listening to James oh, O'Brien man. on LBC. If you build it. They will come. Oh, man, this is lovely. It doesn't get better than that, Michael. I, I'll give you the applause Mate, as well. I to you every day in Brazil. Well, so, I'm, I'm, I'm touched. I'm, that. I'm touched and flattered. And that was a unique Ray Liotta because the geography and it was all the planets aligning. There'll be plenty of people who work in forestry who might have been able to answer the question, but they're not ringing me from the lower Amazon basin. So, so take the applause as well, Michael. Many thanks indeed. Oh, thank you so much, man. Look I'm going to call my mates. I'm going to call my mates in Barnet and say i got a radio in Brazil. Spread the word. Seriously, everyone understands the power of this currency. Russell's in Burnham-on-Sea. Russell, question or answer? Answer. Carry on. Um, It's for the blowing on your hand. Yes. It's due to the expansion of gas, expanding gas cools. Yeah, so when your mouth is open, the gas is already expanded, and when you purse your lips and blow onto your hand, the gas in the air expands and cools your hands. I don't... OK, I'll give it to you. Qualifications? I used to be heat and vent engineer. I, I, I'll give you a round of applause. I, I thought it had something to do with, with the, the heat of the skin being with... No, no, it's the expansion of the gas that cools the skin. Right, you're on. Go. Thanks, James. Thank you, Russell. Stay safe. Danny's in Ashford. Danny, question or answer? Answer. Go on. To the yawning question. When does it become contagious? Well, it's one of the earliest forms of human communication, and it would signal to someone that you were safe. So, in No, I know that, Danny, problems. mate. I know that. But the question wasn't, what, why, why is it, yawning it, contagious? When? At what age does it become contagious? Oh, sorry. She had a 14-week-old um, daughter on her weeks. lap when she asked Two the question. Two years old. Two years old. Yeah. yeah. You're a puppy. It's, it's about four weeks. <laughs> Qualifications? I've got a puppy that just yawned at me. <laughs> Did you give me a round of applause? I'm throwing him out like confetti today. I think you've got a puppy that just yawned at me. If you're just tuning in, we're discussing Brexit. The, um, the, the, the point there, of course, is that 
What is the point there? I've completely forgotten. The the yawning contagious, when you develop empathy, so there wouldn't be a fixed date. You're not going to be able to say two years, three months and two days. But as soon as you become sort of con- conscious of empathy or empathetic inputs, then, then yawning would become contagious. So you understand concepts like safety and security. Becky's in Guildford. Last one. Question or answer? Hi, I have a steward's inquiry. Oh, no. Go on. <laughs> So you're actually right about the butcher's aprons. Basically, um, the plain aprons are for apprentices. The stripy ones or pinstripes are for the elder butchers and the higher up in the butchery chain you are, the wider your stripes are. Seriously? Yeah. Qualifications? Um, My granddad and my great-granddad were both butchers and they owned their own butcher shop. And you had this conversation with them? No, but I used to basically live in there. I used to oh. be there every day, and it was just some stuff that people discussed with the customers, oh, and I overheard quality. it. I prefer your answer. I, I, I know <laughs> the, the fellow. I gave him so many free adverts for his fish and chip shop as well, and it turns out he, he was wrong. Perhaps I don't care. Have I'm a round so happy of a... because I listen every week, and I never know answers to anything. And today I was like, yes, I actually know what I'm saying. Well, in that case, I can't possibly quibble. <laughs> Lovely stuff, Becky. Many thanks indeed. That's it from me for another day. We'll do it all again tomorrow morning from 10. It's just approaching one o'clock and Sheila Fogarty is here. I can tell you the entire newsroom upstairs has been going... <laughs> on the hands to see what... Yeah, we still don't understand it either. No, Thank normally. you, James. It's expanding gas. Expanding gas. Yeah. Yeah, we all know about that. Thank you very much indeed, uh, James. Now, the Conservative Party's making pledges on immigration again. No target figures, though. They didn't so much as fail to deliver immigration below the tens of thousands as never actually tried to do so. Most rhetoric, uh, rhetoric even on this subject has been hollow and cowardly from Theresa May all the way through to the union leader Len McCluskey, who is still at it. Uh, Today we learn waiting times in A&E are the worst ever, and we already know that staffing levels are in crisis. We talked about it just the other day. Uh, A long known about crisis. So, I say immigration, I say worst waiting times ever. What do you say? What connection do you make between those two things? On your radio on Global Player and Play LBC Leading Britain's conversation This is LBC LBC